Yes, haha, <laughs> yes. Yes, haha, <laughs> yes. Yes, yes. Yes, yes. Yes, yes. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me, as always, from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co-host, Tim Jensen. Tim, how's it going, sir? It's going good, going good. Weather was a bit weird this week, but otherwise, not too bad. Fantastic, man. Did you guys get any snow this week, like in Ontario? Yeah, we got some snow, but it didn't really stick, so I didn't have to shovel, so that was nice. Well, that's not bad. That's not too bad. I mean, I understand it's May, but it still seems so weird for me that other provinces are getting snow, right? Yeah. I mean, I signed up for it, to be fair. That so is true. So it's not like I can complain. Yeah, that is true. That is true. But at least you're not in, like, you know, other parts of the world where winter is, like, you know, eight months of the year instead of, like, six. Yeah, pretty much. So, Tim, we got a fully loaded episode today. Now, usually I know I say that every episode, but, you know, we do have a lot to talk about this evening. Now, the first thing we got to talk about is our cover athlete for today's episode, because today's episode is Season 4, Episode 17, in chronological order, Episode 94, the Stanislav Nakar episode of the Third Line Plug, Sensgast. So, just a little background about Stanislav Nakar. He was drafted 29th overall by the Ottawa Senators in 1994. He spent five seasons with the Senators, recording six goals, 16 assists for 22 points in 198 games. He would be traded to the New York Rangers in November of 1998 for Bill Berg and a 1999 second round pick, which turned out to be Jordan Leopold. So, you know how, with some of our cover athletes, you know, I always talk about, I remember them from the EA NHL games, but not as a player. While I don't remember, remember here's the thing, while I don't remember Stanislav Nakar as a senator, I also don't remember from the EA games. What I remember him from, Wayne Gretzky's 3D hockey on the N64. Right, because he would have been on New York, right? No, he's with the senators at that time. Oh, he's with the senators, right. Yeah, the only reason... I always re- forget what year that game actually is. <laughs> yeah. When did that game come out? 96? It's 96, 97, I, I think, think, for that season. Yeah, because there's no photo for Alfie, which kind of dates it a bit. I know, but there's also the Hartford Whalers, too, which really dates that game. Yeah. But that actually probably bounds it, right? It does, actually. Because, you know, like, the next year, Wayne Gretzky's Hockey 98 had the Carolina Hurricanes, so... Yeah, so that puts it at 96-97 season. Absolutely. So, you know, do you have any memories of Stanislav Nakar from any of the NHL hockey games that came out over the years? No. Although, on that topic, I realized that in my quest to actually have a decent retro gaming setup, I realized that I didn't have a copy of NHL 94 for (laughs) my Sega Genesis, so I went and fixed that. Nice. It's going to arrive on Friday. Oh, that's fantastic, man. That's fantastic. Can I also recommend NHL 95 as well? That was my personal favorite. Yeah. Well, it's like, I hear 94 is the the more the faster of the two, so I think I'd probably lean towards that game. 
Well, and, 94 uh, is no. definitely the the more popular of the two. 95 is definitely way faster, though. Just because it's such oh, okay. a different different game engine and everything that they had in the game for 95. Mm. Okay, yeah. Well, I'm playing it on the Genesis as well, which does allow for slightly faster processing at the cost of worse sound. Also, I don't have a Super Nintendo, so... <laughs> That is true, and you know what's funny? Even when I had a Super Nintendo, like, I never had any of the NHL games on there. I had maybe five games on the Super Nintendo, what I was collecting. I had Link to the Past, Mario World, F-Zero, and I think there was a couple others. I can't remember off the top of my head. So, like, the really good ones, uh, with the, when I was collecting Genesis games, I just collected anything, right? So, yeah. And the sports titles did tend to be better on the Genesis, yeah, because that's and what the Genesis is known for, that's too. That's probably... Yeah. So it's like... Yeah, if you're going to get them, you get them on the Genesis. So, like, I might try to... I might look for NBA Jam as well. Yeah, NBA Jam on the Genesis is pretty good. I think Drew had it back in the day. I think that's where I first played it. Yeah, he might have. Which is kind of weird for a guy who wasn't too big into sports in general. That is true. And I know you have an N64. You should probably look into NBA Hangtime, too. That's freaking awesome on the N64. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to see. Uh, one of these days, I might just pop over to like Game Trader over on Center Street. Sounds like a plan, man. Sounds like a plan. So, Tim, we also got to reveal who our cover athlete for next week's episode, our season four finale, the Ruthless Sends Gresham episode, but also season four, episode 18, chronological order, episode 95. Our cover athlete will be Matt Duchesne. There's going to be a goal, goal called back for offside against the Leafs, isn't there? Probably. The curse looks on. The curse will live on. You know, it's the Alf- It's not the Alfie effect. It's the uh, Duchesne effect. But you know the nice thing about next week's episode, hey, Tim, is that we're going to have a... he gets to go to the playoffs this year. I know, I know, but still, the Duchesne effect... But the nice thing about next week's episode is at least we're going to have a very special guest joining us as Canuck from the Suns Call-Ups will be joining us for our Season 4 finale. Oh, it's going to be fun times. I always do like like the wrap-ups and uh, finale episodes we do with another blogger because it's just or podcaster because it's just really fun to get someone else kind of calling us idiots on the show instead of just each other calling each other idiots. Well, yeah, and they go an extra step further and they do it over social media too, so... I mean, fair. <laughs> I know, I, I had that coming. I, I will not disagree with that. But that's going to be for... Just not mm, let that one go, are you? Nope, that's going to be for next week's episode. Well, Tim, now that we got that all out of the way, I've got to ask the important question our fans love hearing every single week. How has your week been going? We bought a lawnmower. No, come on! Do tell. Yeah, we just got it off Facebook Marketplace for 180 bucks. It's one of those cartridge mowers. And the nice thing is this one shoots the clippings forward, so... Nice. It just keeps everything nice and clean. Tim, I think you've officially reached a uh, We also got, like, one of those hand... Yeah. We also got, like, one of those hand claw things that you can use to pull weeds and their roots up. And we were going to buy a ladder, but we got scooped. That's a sentence I never thought I would say. I got scooped trying to buy a ladder. How did you get scooped? 
so Chelsea reached out to the guy. He's like, yeah, the la- step ladder's 40, 40 bucks. And then someone offered him 50 bucks for the step for the ladder. And yep. And we were like on the way to get it when we saw the message coming up, came up on his phone. He's like, yeah, don't bother to come in. I sold to someone else. God damn it. Did you guys already have an agreement to buy it? Yeah. Oh, see, that's that's yeah, kind so, of shitty, though, man, that he would do that. Yeah. I mean, at the same time, it's like, it's whatever, but... But still, I can just though. go to Rona and buy a ladder, but still, it's like, you told us you were going to sell it to us. You should kind of follow it through. Yeah, that is shitty, man. I'm really sorry to hear that. But the good news is you got a lawnmower. I mean, at the end of the day, it's a ladder. It's not like something that's actually hard to find. That is fair. That is fair. So I got to ask, though, because we're on the topic of lawnmowers, is a weed whacker going to be the next thing you're going to be purchasing? Uh, We're looking at it. Yeah, we're definitely looking at it, seeing uh, what the options are. A barbecue is probably on that list, too. Tim, are you going to go full suburban dad now with the Nike Airwalks and your Kirkland jeans mowing the lawn? I haven't given up on life, Tay. Well, that's not exactly giving up on life, Tim. I think that's just admitting that your life has gotten to a certain point where you are just comfortable enough to wear those. No, I think I'm still going to wear my tight-fitting pants. That's a sentence I never thought I'd ever hear you say either. Well, the joke for a while back when I was living in Toronto, the joke was who wears tighter pants, me or my sister? I got I got nothing. <laughs> I got nothing for you, man. I don't know what to tell you. So you gotta be stylish, my dude. That is true, man. That is true. You gotta be rocking and rolling, bud. Just like Ric Flair. So I'll talk a little bit about my week, Tim, because you know, it was actually kind of funny. You know how last week when we were recording our episode, it was great. I was sitting here, we recorded, and then we finished, and I, I opened the window up, and I had the headphones in, I was editing and all that crap. Well, I don't know about you, but are you the kind of person, when you hear your somebody, like a neighbor or something, have an argument, you kind of stop and he listen for a few seconds to what the hell's really going on over there? Yeah, and that was kind of bad in apartments because it'd just be all of a sudden you could just get interrupted by that sort of thing like four, five, six times a night, depending on the night. Okay, so I got a story to tell. Uh-huh. So I'm sitting here last week editing last week's episode, which was fantastic, by the way. I had the window open, right? Because you know I'm getting some airflow mm-hmm. in here because it was a little warm in here last week when I was recording. So had the headphones in, I'm editing, whatever. And I hear this like kind of an argument going on with my neighbors outside. Now keep in mind, I have my headphones in and I can still hear that through that. So I'm like, what the hell's going on? So I take my headphones off. I had the window open. So I pop my head open. I guess, I don't know what was going on over there. I don't know if one of my neighbors was cheating on somebody or something was going on. And I'm just like, it was like, Wow, I don't know what's going on, but you fucked up good, bud. Like, was he getting screamed out, or...? Yes, he was getting screamed out, like they were having like a domestic argument on their front lawn. <whistles> yeah. Apparently, I guess, from what I was able to piece together from like the 15-20 seconds that I was hearing their argument was, I guess the one person 
was like either hiding something or cheating on the other. And there was something about an STD. And next thing you know, the second party's screaming at him and fucking his brother. I'm like, what the hell is going on over here? Like, I'm like, I, I need a little context. I don't know what's going on. Like, and I understand maybe our listeners may not care about that shit, Tim, but I kind of got invested. I'm like, I want to know what's going on here. Cause I'm sitting here oh. listening to this going on as I'm editing. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? I got oddly invested in this. Oh, I, I totally get you. I remember uh, one time, this is years ago, like this was one of Chelsea and my first dates. Uh, we were at a faux restaurant in downtown Victoria, and we watched a couple melt down in slow motion. Really? Like, we were just sitting there eating, like, eating faux. And uh, this couple, like, they're having this loud discussion about a vacation. And then something came up about getting, like, your hep C vaccine. And then it got eerily quiet. And then all of a sudden, the woman starts, like, crying and accusing him of cheating. And, like, he's trying to hush everything up. And she just keeps going down. And Chelsea and I look at each other. It's like, what the fuck's going on? And uh, I'm just, like, in awe watching as this thing this keeps getting worse and worse. The guy's, like, denied more, more stuff. And uh, Chelsea and I just keep our heads down, finish, finish eating, and leave. Look at each other's like, Let's never be that. Yeah, on like one of the first dates you ever have. It wasn't like the first first one, but it was like an early date. Right. <laughs> yeah, so it was still so, very early on your guys' relationship then. Yeah, like we would have, I would have been just 20 oh, when okay. that happened. Yes, yeah, so that was about nine years ago. <laughs> wow, do you remember the name of the restaurant, Victoria, you guys went to? Uh, it was Fohoa downtown. I think it's something else now. I think it's last I checked, it was faux boy, but it was a faux place on Fort. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was just like really fucking. It was like really awkward while we were there, and then it became really funny once we left. Yeah, because it's always like that, right? When you see like an argument or some kind of domestic thing happening, yeah, it's awkward at the time, but then you walk away and you're just like, "What the hell happened? Like, what's going on here?" It was kind of, and I'll bring up a funny story because me, my dad, one of my buddies, we went to watch the Royals play one time, and my buddy who moved out here from Ontario had never been to a Royals game, so we took, so we went to a Royals game. It was fun, I think. The, I think Victoria won that, if I'm not mistaken. So anyway, we're walking back to my car, and my dad's talking to my buddy, and he's just like, man, he says, man, like, what do you think of Victoria? Like, you know, you think you like it? You know, is it just like home? He goes, you know what? This is really nothing like home, man. I, I really, really like this. It's kind of cool and calm and collected and everything. And next thing you know, right as he said that, there was a guy chewing this check out right behind us on the other side of the street, and it was just like, holy shit, like... And I'm not going to repeat the words he used because this is a quality podcast we're doing here, Tim. So I'm going to spare our listeners. He's the Australian favorite. Yes. Yes. And he called her a skank and everything running down the street going, go back to being a, what did he say? Go back to being a hooker, you fucking whore, whatever the hell it was. I'm just like, holy shit. And my buddy, as soon as he hears that, he turns to my dad and he goes, you know what? 
No, this is just like Toronto. <laughs> it's just like home. Oh. Uh, that's funny. That does kind of remind me of my Welcome to Toronto story. Okay, come on. You gotta tell the Welcome to Toronto story. Okay, so uh, when Chelsea and I were house hunting, it was like, I had been to Toronto once visiting. Chelsea had never been to Toronto. So uh, my mom and my dad grew up in Hamilton, but he left getting a hotel for us while we were house hunting to my mom. And uh, my mom got us a hotel room on East Dundas. Okay. East Dundas near Parliament, which is near the welfare office. <laughs> That's the phase, just like, oh, no. So we decide that uh, we're going to walk. So we had dinner at the Hard Rock Cafe and then walked back to the hotel room because Hard Rock's at uh, Young and Dundas. We're like, oh, we're young. We don't have to pay three bucks for the streetcar. And as we're walking, we notice we pass a lot of it goes from like glitzy signs to oh there's a lot of barred up windows to is that two strip clubs next to each other too? Why is there a woman in the middle of the street? Is she peeing? And then there's like guys yelling at her. So like I have to and then she's yelling back and then I think she yells a price. I'm just like, Jesus fucking Christ. And we just start walking faster. And we go get to the hotel. Chelsea and I look at each other, it's like well, one, we're taking public transit anywhere we go, so we don't have to walk by that. And two, if we have any appointments to look at rentals east of Boo, sorry, east of Young Street, cancel them. Wow. It was just like, yeah, I know. Yeah. Actually, it's funny. I know that you mentioned Hamilton here just a second ago. I was actually talking to uh, one of my friends I used to work with. And she's originally from Halifax, and it was funny because I found this uh, Theodore Tugboat meme online because she's from the East Coast. I thought, ah, that'd be kind of funny to send it to her. She apparently told me that apparently Halifax is in fights with Ontario right now because they're trying to take the... Because they've taken their um, life-size Theodore Tugboat that was in the harbor in Halifax. It's moving to Hamilton. They took it? Yes. Oh, you can't do that. That's what I told her. I'm like... Those goddamn Ontarians. That's like the only thing we got. That's what I told her. I says, here's my quote. I says, how dare they? Damn Ontarians, they can't let them East Coasters have anything nice. Yeah, Ontario's already got its own stuff. Right? Yeah, like steel mills and pollution. Look, Halifax have something. Exactly. So, Tim, I'm going to segue away from all of the drama and all of the shenanigans going on in Toronto and in my neighborhood to something really cool that I saw on social media this week because I don't know if you noticed this, but we actually got some love for our intro that we use for our episodes. Yeah, that was kind of cool. It was, man. So, shout out to Pro Nick on Twitter. He sent us a really great tweet. I'm just going to bring it up here real quick for those who might not have seen it because, and that's the thing for me. I'm, I'm always still very shocked and a little bit surprised whenever people reach out to us and it's not like solicited. Like we don't go out of our way to try and get a comment or whatever. So people who are just like, man, this is awesome that you guys are doing this or they notice something we do. And this is what he says here. At Third Lane Plug has the best sends podcast intro. Not even close. I thought that was awesome when I read that. And I'm just thinking, oh yeah, it's probably just like 
you know, it's comment nice. or whatever that was on one of our tweets. No, he uh, sent that right to us. So I'm really glad that our Down with the Secos theme is great. And I know Joseph even commented. He says he loves the fact that, that we added the yes, ha, 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 yes into it. We incorporated that. I mean, good value that we're getting for it. Absolutely, man. It, I don't know what we're going to be doing for next season if that theme will come back, just because I don't know if the Sen Seco meme will even be still relevant at that point. It's almost not relevant anymore, eh? Yeah, it's really because dead. the Sens are actually good. Well, let's not let's got let's not get too hasty here. Like we are the hottest team coming out of the trade deadline, but that's not the point. But. You know what is the point, Tim? It's time to segue into this little segment I like to call Top of the Hour. Not the best segue in the world, but you know, eh, it'll go for it. So we actually got to give a couple of shout-outs, Tim, because first off, Vegas Gold Knights goaltender Marc-Andre Fleury became the third winningest goaltender in NHL history during the team's game versus the Minnesota Wild. Fleury, drafted first overall in 2003 by the Pittsburgh Penguins, has a career record of 490, 276, and 82 with a .913 save percentage through 17 seasons with Pittsburgh and Vegas at the time of the story. Yeah, it's kind of insane to realize that in our lives, we've seen some of the best goaltenders ever, not some of the. Because, like, when you think of, like, a lot of the all-star records for skaters, a lot of that was done, like, the 70s, 80s, 90s, and Ovechkin now. But for goalies, it's it's been recent. Like, you have Roger into Flurry with the sprinkling of Luongo and Patrick Waugh in there. Yeah, and we also can't forget that Dominic Hasek was also in our lifetime, too, right? Right. Yeah. One thing I always found really interesting about Marc-Andre Fleury is that he doesn't really have any individual awards to his name. The only thing he really has is his three Stanley Cups and maybe a couple of All-Star game appearances. Well, I think the hard thing is with Fleury, all the attention went to Sidney Crosby. So, like, he definitely got overshadowed in Pittsburgh. That is fair. That, you know, that is very fair, Tim. But the thing is, is that... I think that's kind of a still a bullshit argument just because I think about how Patrick Waugh can play on such a offensively talented team in Colorado and he still won, you know, Vesna's, he still made the all-star game, he still has the cups to his name. So really, I don't really know why Fleury doesn't have that. And I understand like when he first really broke into the league right after like the lockout, that's when Martin Brodeur just started Dominating left and right. Roberto Luongo came out. Didn't, I mean, didn't really come out of lo- nowhere, but Luongo then came. He won his awards. And then you had, you know, the Tim Thomases, the Tuka Rasks, the Andre Vasileskis, guys like this who came along who are now winning mm-hmm. these awards, right? So I think that's kind of why more Fleury doesn't have the awards. I don't think it's more him being overshadowed by Crosby. It probably played a big, a bit of a factor in that, but I don't think that's the whole reason. But it's like, the guy had really good stats throughout his time in Pittsburgh, and he just never got any real respect for it. So it's like, I can't really square the circle, you know? Yeah, like, that even is... compared to, like, Luongo and Bruder. That is true, and I think that people really started to 
really appreciate and really respect Fleury once he went to Vegas, right? Because, you know, the argument was, well, okay, you play on a team with Malkin and Crosby. Yeah, of course you're going to win cups, but you go to Vegas and Vegas had no expectations on them. And then they went to the finals the first year and then they just constantly ended up failing in the playoffs the next couple of seasons. So, but it is very cool to see that at least Fleury is getting that recognition now with just how good of a goaltender he ended up really being. Yeah. So it's like, I think just at the time the guy was underappreciated for what he was. And I think there were a few performance, there were a few really bad goals that he let in, especially in that 08, 07, 08 playoff in the finals that people really never let go. And I think that probably haunted him a bit as well. Yeah, I would agree with that. So we're going to move away Which from... really isn't fair. It's not but fair, it but you know is. what? Unfortunately, it is what it is. Like, But, however, that doesn't mean that you can't move past something like that. Like, look at Martin Berder in the 03 finals. Remember when he dropped mm. his stick? The puck bounced off his stick, threw his legs, and went in? Yeah. Who really remembers that now that he has a three Stanley Cup victories to his name? Well, the same thing when Dominic Hasek let in the clearing attempt from Anaheim, letting the back into that season, series at 06 07. Like, all these great goaltenders have just awful games. Yep. But every goalie has those moments. Patrick Waugh had that against Detroit in 2002 when he he thought he had the puck. He lifted it up in the air, but the puck fell out of his glove and hit the ice, and Detroit scored. Yeah. Although, like, I think that Flurry should be in the conversation for the Besnia this year because he has been excellent. Yeah, I wouldn't even deny that, man. Wouldn't even deny that one bit. So we're going to move away from a former Pittsburgh Penguin, Mark Andre Fleury, to the current captain of the Pittsburgh Penguins, Sidney Crosby. Because Pittsburgh Penguins captain Sidney Crosby moved past Alex Ovechkin for 34th on the all-time points list with 1,323. Crosby is four points behind Gilbert Perot for 33rd on the all-time list at the time of the story. You know, I'm glad that we get to do some more Sidney Crosby watch. And it's always surprising to me that just Ovechkin has an ass load of goals, but just doesn't really have the same, like that two to one goal to assist ratio that great players like, uh, like Crosby or a lot of great playmakers have, or just elite players in general. So it's, it's funny to see that Crosby surpasses Ovechkin in this way. Yeah, but... And you... 1,300 points is nothing to sniff at. No. And God, I no. don't think Crosby is done. No, absolutely not. And you know what? There's nothing to say that these guys can push to the 20s and... Po- I, I don't know even if the 10s, because that's still quite a long ways away, given that they are... 33, 34, 35 years old. So you never know, right? You never know how many more years these guys really got in. But it will be great to see, like, once these guys' careers are done, that we can look back and be like, wow, like, they gave us, like, almost two decades worth of great hockey. Well, the weird thing is, like, Sidney Crosby is, like, 34, 35, and he's still playing, like, an elite first-line center. Dude still has five good years left in him. At least. Yeah, as, as long as the injury like, bug doesn't bite him. Great. Yeah, as long as he doesn't get injured again, he is aging very gracefully. 
And it just really makes you appreciate like what guys like uh, truly appreciate guys like Steve Eiserman or even or Patrick Marlowe that just played long and played hard. Um, and then I was thinking about it the other day and realized that, you know, Yarmir Yager probably would be up in that conversation for most games played if he hadn't taken a hiatus. It is true. You know, and I often think how much more his point total would be too, right? Like it could be, like he, I think he already passed Mario, so it's not hard to see that he could have passed more guys, right? Yeah, he might have been able to catch Gretzky. Who knows? Because, yeah, Yager also would have had an almost 30-year career. And he's still going, man. Apparently, he wants to play next year over in Czech Republic, so good for him. Yeah, might as well. Arizona Coyotes forward Phil Kessel became the 14th American-born player to reach 900 points during the Coyotes game versus San Jose. Kessel, drafted 5th overall in 2006 by Boston, has recorded 19 goals, 21 assists for 40 points, and 55 games for Arizona at the time of the story. Okay, I only got one comment to make. Did you see the picture that came out of Phil Kessel after he hit 900 points? Does he have a hot dog? That, just looking at that guy... You would never think this guy was in the NHL. You would think this guy played in a fucking beer league. He's got a bit of a <laughs> gut. He's got a bit of a gut on him. The man boobs are out. It's just like he's got the beard. The beard. He's just sweating like crazy. I'm just like this guy is so unconventional. Like my my mind just cannot fathom the fact that there's a guy in the NHL. That looks like he is so out of shape. I mean, yes, in baseball, that seems like more of an obvious thing when you see, like, the uh, uh, Bartolo Colones and those kind of guys who have the big guts on them. But these guys are, like, trained athletes. And Kessel looks like that. And he's an elite sniper. It's just so funny. And I think that's, that's what makes the whole Kessel and Toronto saga even funnier is that as soon as he gets traded out of town, he's on Pittsburgh, wins two Stanley Cups. And the guy looks like he should be starring in a sitcom. He looks like he should be a plumber's assistant. Something like that. Like, no, I love Phil Kessel. I don't know. It's weird. I think the older he gets, the more I just kind of laugh about it. Because... You know, when he was in Toronto, it definitely was so annoying with the amount of coverage he got of just, he definitely had that attitude about him that he just didn't seem to care, and the, he was always eating the hot dogs and whatever. And then he goes to Pittsburgh, he wins two cups, and one of the first pictures that comes out after he wins the cup is the Stanley Cup with all the hot dogs in it. And I'm just like, that's pretty funny. I, I gotta give him that. I think that's maybe where I changed my tune about Kessel a little bit, but... I, I don't know. Still, he I cannot the thrill. feel the thrill. I still, I, I don't know. I still can't wrap my head around the fact he just, he looks so out of shape for a professional athlete. You mean you just can't get over the fact that he exists? Yes. You know, he, you but know, it's like one of the things that I always find surprising is just how, when you look at the number of American board players that do things, it's like, there isn't as many as I thought there would be. Because, yeah, like, in the U.S., there's so many other sports you can do. 
but there's also 300 million Americans. I would expect just a pure expectation that a decent, even if like 10% of American elite athletes become elite hockey players, that there'd be more of them chasing records, you know? True, but I think for the Americans, really, their top players have come out of that country in the last 35 years. Really? Because if you think about it, right, you had the Keith the Chucks, the Tony Amanes, the Mike Richters, guys like that who came out of the United States, and Brad Hall. And they were all, what, mid to late 80s, early 90s, these guys started getting into the NHL? So it's not that surprising. You would think. I, I agree with you, right? Because of all how many millions of Americans there are, and yet a lot of the guys that dominate the top 20 are all guys that played in the league in the last 35 years. Yeah. So it's just like, I'm surprised that it took that long for enough Americans to give a shit, especially when, like, a lot of your population centers are in northern states. Like, you got Minneapolis, Detroit, New York, Boston. Oh, yeah, so definitely New like England. they're sure. all southerners. Yeah, but now with the... So it's just like, I am surprised. Yeah, but even with the American expansion into the South, you're seeing players come out of, like, Arizona, you know, with the Austin Matthews and Florida with the Hughes brothers. So I'm really not surprised, right? So. Yeah. I just thought there'd be more. But, you know, we'll probably see. We've got another wave of really good American players like Jack Eichel, Brady Kachuk. Josh Norris. Those sorts of guys as well. So you'll get more, but it's... I. I have to say I am a little surprised that it's so low. And I guess in Canada, we definitely funnel a lot of guys to the NHL, so I would expect us to be over overrepresented. And then we'll probably start seeing a lot more Russians and Swedes in that list too. And and maybe even Germans, you never know. LA Kings captain Anze Kopitar recorded his 1,000th NHL point during the Kings game versus the Arizona Coyotes. Kopitar, drafted 11th overall by the Los Angeles Kings in 2005, has spent his entire NHL career with the LA Kings, recording 346 goals and 654 assists in 1,124 games, while winning two Stanley Cups in 2012 and 2014, two Selkie Trophies in 2016 and 2018, and a Lady Bing Trophy in 2016. I gotta say, is this probably the... Single most quietest 1,000-point guy we've seen in a long time. Hands down. He's got to be. Because, like, Anze Kopitar was kind of the poster child of kind of ignored by the West Coast until L.A. started winning those Cups. Because, like, he didn't even get his individual awards until after L.A. won both the Cups. It's true. And it's crazy that he won those in a town that really is traditionally not a hockey town a la's even though the kings have been there since the 60s what has been the teams that have dominated that city the lakers the dodgers the raiders when they were there and then whatever kind of team has come along and now you got the la kings when gratsky came to town the Kings started becoming a draw and then the 90s came along and now with la winning the two cups it's they have their rifle spot there in la but I do got to agree, like, he was largely forgotten by a lot of people because, again, and, I, and I've made this point in the past with the West Coast teams, unless these teams are winning, the hockey writers and the hockey media 
in the east does not care, either does not care or does not realize we're there. Yeah, pretty much. And then I think if LA is, LA is a brutal town for professional sports as well because that city loves the Bruins. Like your logo is Mickey Mouse throwing a football. That, that should tell you what you need to know about the UCLA Bruins and how the city of LA feels about them. Because if you're not winning, who gives a shit? UCLA is playing. I was going to say, uh, well, I was going to say more USC more than anybody. Well, USC for basketball, UCLA for football. No way. Come on. USC is definitely a football football school. U- UCLA is definitely the basketball school. Oh, USC is a football school, but UCLA is big. That is true. So now we're going to move on to a news story that actually you sent my way, and I added it here on top of the hour. Former NHL and NBC analyst Eddie Olchek has signed on to become the lead analyst for TNT's NHL coverage starting next season. Olchek held the same role with NBC since 2006. And if I'm not mistaken, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, I think Ray Ferraro and Brian Boucher have signed on for the ESPN coverage as well. Okay. Yeah, I think so. So it looks like at this point we're not going to get too many new voices. Yeah, but you know what? If it's not Which, if it's I not broken, don't fix it, right? You know I was hoping for Mark Mathot and Roberto Luongo. I know. I, I know you were really hoping for Meth and Lou, but you know... It wasn't going to happen. The, the only thing that could have made it better. But then again, outside of those guys, there's and hockey really doesn't have those like overly big personalities like the Shaqs and the Charles Barkleys do. Like TNT has for their NBA coverage, right? So, although I will love we the fact... just get Shaq. They even Charles asked Shaq when TNT do. announced they had the NHL rights. The, the NBA guys asked Shaq, he says, name three NHL teams. He goes... New Jersey Devils, California Kings. He referred to the LA Kings as the California Kings. And, <laughs> and I think Kenny Smith is just like, uh, that's the LA Kings, Shaq. Oh, yeah, all right. Which is funny because, like, Shit. He, he played in LA for how many years? Well, it's just, I'm, I'm still shook by the TNT NBA guys, like Charles Barkley and Shaq, during the NBA playoffs. And the Sens Penguins game, and Charles Barkley's like, ah, who cares? Is the Pittsburgh game, the Pittsburgh Ottawa game, still on? I got money on that one. Just in the middle of the goddamn broadcast. <laughs> yeah, man, I love Charles Barkley. I legit could listen to him talk about anything. Like he's just that interesting to listen to, and and also because was... like he's his words don't fully form when they come out. They kind of just sound almost mushy at times. Like, there was a comedian, I think his name is uh, Anze, was it Anze Spears? I, I think that was his name. And uh, he was talking about basketball, and he's, uh, this is like from 2005, 2006, when Shaq and Kobe were feuding, and they go, so Charles, what do you think about the Miami Heat? And he goes, the Phoenix Suns, yeah, the Phoenix says, the Phoenix Suns, let, let me tell you something, Shaquille now, you know, he talks like that, or like how Shaq would, or uh, no, Charles would do, and then he does Shaq, and he goes, I got Kobe, I got Phil, Kobe know how I play. <laughs> It's a great club. Oh, so good. So good. So good. Well, Tim, we got to talk about... I wish we had stuff like that. Well, we do. We got Jeff O'Neill. O-Dog's the closest thing we had. Remember him during the World Junior coverage? 
Right. Yes, yes, buddy. Dude, I could listen to him talk about... The, they should get him to do the World Juniors every year because he was so good. It was so funny to hear a guy so unbelievably biased towards a country like Jeff O'Neill was for Team Canada. He didn't care about these other teams or these other countries. It's like when you listen to Overdrive. He's the exact same way. It's like, I can't remember who it was. I think Brian Hayes or somebody was saying about him. He's just like, yeah, it's funny when you watch him, when he's talking about it's like um, Devin Booker from the Arizona or Phoenix Suns, and he's just like, yeah. Like, he doesn't care. He doesn't even add anything to it. He does. He knows nothing about it, right? So It's just like the level of not giving a shit. I know. If it was anybody other than O, people would call him out of. They'd go, this guy is absolutely lazy, and this guy is just not right for that. But because it's Jeff, they kind of love it. So... Oh, we're trying to get to a not nice story. I know. And this is one that really... I know we... I think we were talking about this either last week or the week previous. And I know we don't really need to go too deep into this, but we'll have to talk about it. Vancouver police have confirmed they opened an investigation into the sexual misconduct allegations against Vancouver Canucks forward Jake Furtanen. A statement from Vancouver Police Department spokesperson Constable Tanya Verstanen was released stating detectives made contact with the complainant after learning of the allegations in the media's coverage. Yeah, we'll see where this goes. At the same time, though, if Jake Furtanen is suspended until the investigation is complete if this one goes to trial yeah his career is over because that's two to three years of police work depending on how deep or intricate the case is or how agreeable all the witnesses are it could be it could be a short investigation it could be a long investigation if it's on the longer side no matter what happens that's probably the end of jake Furtanen. Yeah, and they might just revoke his work visa into the United States too, right? Yeah. So he won't even be able to get into the country, even if he wanted to play in the NHL. So we're going to talk about this next story. Now, the thing is about this one, I couldn't really find any information regarding why this was that they're doing it, but we figured we got to bring it up. The German Ice Hockey Federation has announced that Detroit Red Wings goaltender Thomas Grice will no longer be invited to participate in international competition due to his values contracting with those of the Federation. DEB head Christian Kutznat stated that as long as the current management is in charge, they won't be an, invest- won't be an invitation for Thomas. He also went on to say that they can't be 100% sure about his stance on their values, so a nomination is currently out of the conversation. Yeah, I tried to dig into this story, and what I could find is that Thomas Grice, like, uh, he's a pretty vocal Trump supporter, and I think the thing that actually did it, though, is that one of his helmets from 2015, the S's on Grice do look oddly close to the SS logo. That one I do recall, and, uh, yeah, I'm trying to think. I think there was another goalie. He had, like, a KISS logo on his mask. And the same thing. It had, like, the S that looked like the SS of the Nazi, the Nazi party, whatever. So, yeah, I, again, and I'm glad that you brought that up because I couldn't find really any, any information regarding why Thomas Grice was no longer going to be invited to play for Germany. So I'm glad that you brought that up because, again, I couldn't really find any information. So I'm glad that you dug a little bit deeper and found that information. Yeah, because it's, like, 
it took me like half an hour to sift through just a bunch of media reports and uh, most of them were like oh yeah he's a trump supporter and then he finally find one's like oh yeah uh the german league wasn't comfortable the guy who had a helmet that a german guy having a helmet that looked a bit too close to the ss logo like okay that makes a bit more sense because if it was just the politics stuff i'd be like come on guys it's a bit late and it's not terribly appropriate to be banning a guy from competing for your country over politics that are currently being debated and that sort of thing but when when you're looking at a German guy who has something that's a bit too close to comfort to Nazi insignia in a country where that's illegal then yeah that makes sense so we've got to move on and talk about a couple of suspensions. We're going to start off with Philadelphia Flyers defenseman Shane Gottesphere has been suspended two games for boarding Pittsburgh Penguins defenseman Mark Freeman during their game on May 4th. Gottesphere is not a repeat offender. So I got no comment about this because I didn't really see the hit, so I don't really know what to talk about this because, again, like we said over the years, if I haven't seen the hit, I can't really comment on it. But I would like to get your thoughts on whether you've seen the hit and what you thought of this. I saw the hit. I think the suspension is uh, justified. And it's been a rough few years for Shane Gossage here. And uh, this definitely doesn't help his position. Because, like, remember five years ago when it looked like he was going to be one of the premier offensive defensemen in the NHL? And then just off a cliff. Yeah, and I know that he's been a guy, I totally agree, yeah, he's been a guy who's really just been a shadow of who he once was, and you know what, maybe maybe a change of scenery is perfect for what he needs out of Philly, right? Because again, the Flyers are so hard on their players, that fan base, but usually that's usually reserved for goalies, That's and sometimes defensemen, but yeah, usually, if you're a goalie in Philly, your career is pretty much up shit's creek at that point unless you're like ron hextall or something that is true man that is true let's move on to another suspension vancouver connects forward zach McEwen has been suspended one game for kneeing edmonton oilers defenseman darnell nurse McEwen is not a repeat offender yeah i think this one's about right and i am really not happy with the amount of kneeing that's been going on this year it's always a dangerous play. Yeah. And I think the NHL does needs to come down a bit harder on that. Yeah, and like, this is the second yeah, time this year that a Canucks player has done it too, right? Yeah. Yeah, because remember we had Alex Edler against the Leafs that did that. Yeah, and I remember watching a Joe Rogan video years ago where, remember the guy who dresses up as a superhero in Seattle and challenges people to duels? Mm-hmm. Because uh, dueling, that sort of dueling is, without firearms, just fisticuffs is legal in Seattle if both people agree to it. <laughs> and Joe Rogan's watching this video and he's commenting on it. It's like, oh shit, the guy who accepted the challenge of this guy dressed as a superhero just thinks he's a loony. But then Joe's watching, he's like, oh god, the superhero knows how to fight, the other guy doesn't. Look at those leg kids. That dude's knees is going to get fucked up. <laughs> and just listening to that, like, and thinking about all his knee, it's like, yeah, dude's knees are going to get fucked up. Because knee on knee, especially the side of the knee, is so dangerous. So, so, so dangerous. That it is, man. Now we're going to move on to our final suspension. New York Rangers forward Pavel 
Bushkinevich has been suspended one game for high-sticking Washington Capitals forward Anthony Mantha. Bushkinevich is not a repeat offender. Now, if I can call an audible here, Tim, we're going to save our comments about this play for the final story of the night. And we're actually going to talk quickly about an Ottawa Senators story because the Ottawa Senators have re-signed Anton Forsberg to a one-year, $900,000 contract. Forsberg has recorded a 2-3-1 record with a .910 save percentage and a 3.18 goals against average for Ottawa at the time of the story. So really, this only means 100% that Marcus Hogberg's not coming back next year. This really, that's all what the signing means. Oh, yeah. Basically, this is the backup. Yeah, Antoine Forsberg is the backup for next year. Either him or Goose or Decor, depending on what happens. Uh, this reminds me a lot of the Condon tra- trade, but even more free. Honestly, Pierre Dorian's got an insane value off of the waiver wire this year, eh? Yeah, between Forsberg and like, Mete? Yeah, like, the stuff that he's gotten dumpster diving has been way better than the stuff he traded for. I mean, that's, uh, that's all that needs to be said right there, right? Is, And, you know, we've commented all about that all those weeks ago. So, no, it's a decent signing. 900000 no risk involved. If they have to put him in the minors, they can, right? Because they already have goalies in the system ready to go. Yep, yeah, pretty much. Happy to see what Forsberg can do and uh, keep the spot warm until one of Gustafsson, Decord, or Mandelize steps up. And now we've come to the big news story of the week. To wait, co- wait, 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 what? wait. We've done almost half an hour of news, and we're not going to talk about the century man, Connor McDavid. All right, yeah, you know what? Let's talk about Connor McDavid. I'm glad it. You know what? 100 points. I'm very In happy. 53 games. Yes. That is one of the fastest marks to do it. The last time it was done was Lemieux and Yager in 96. Almost 20 years have passed 25. since someone's done what McDavid has done. 25 years, yeah. man. Like, that's insane. Yeah, and you know what's funny is that there's still so many people who think what Austin Matthews has done is more important. And I'm like... No, uh, I, I hate to break that to you, but no, it's not. And people think, oh, yeah, it's because you're a Sens fan and you don't like Austin Matthews. No, it's because his parents can't spell, but that's not the point. The point I'm trying to make here, Tim, is that there's a difference between hitting 40 goals and hitting 100 points. Yeah. Big and difference. Mc, and McDavid's points are mostly primary points, which makes it even more absolutely fucking insane what he's done. Because, like, these are, like, first assists and goals that he's doing it on. Like, him him and Dry's title are on an absolute tear this this year. Even in, like, the I think in his last ten games, he has had seven three or, three or more point games. What the fuck is that? How many of those were against Ottawa, though? In the last ten? I don't think... I think only one of those was against Ottawa. Four were against Vancouver. To be fair. But, like, yeah, McDavid has been scorching earth lately. Yeah. And then, on top of that, Mike Smith looks like a man reborn. 
the Edmonton defense core actually looks semi-competent. Like, uh, the Tyson Berry signing has worked out really well. Darnell Nurse has looked good. Like, this Oilers team, I think they would be competitive they'd be competitive in the in the regular west in the regular yeah in a regular west coast west division play western conference playoff instead of just whatever mickey mouse north division playoff we're gonna get yeah i mean because you know look if we're gonna well here's the thing tim if we're also gonna include stories that i didn't add what about the least winning their first division title in 21 years I didn't think that was... I didn't realize how that could be a thing. Well, you know, and I was thinking about this too, right? And I said, you know, I can kind of understand it, you know, when they've played in a division where you had, let's see, Ottawa, Montreal, Boston, Buffalo. Yes, they said that. Buffalo has won a division title in the last 20 years. Those mid-2000s Buffalo teams were really good though like to give them their due and that was a fun rivalry it was man it was but uh and then you add in tampa bay and yeah it is a the northeast and atlantic were tough tough divisions yeah like especially the atlantic of the late night of the late 2000s where you had sorry the mid to late 2000s where you had elite senators bruins and and buffalo teams and then montreal rising as well that was not a fun division to play in no and toronto was definitely on the downswing for all of that too right yeah but at the same time it's just like it's kind of incredible that you do have a team with like austin matthews john cabarrus Morgan Riley and all those guys, and it just hasn't been able to put it all together. Yep. So it took a, it took a division that had only two legitimate playoff teams to do it. Because like I was thinking about this the other day, and Montreal right now is sitting with fifty-seven points. They could have lost every game this season in overtime except for two. Sorry, except for one, and get that point total. That's like an 82-point pace on a regular season. And that's good enough for the playoffs in the North? Yeah. I think the comment that really needs to be said, though, is that it's hard to believe that the NHL had to create a fake division just so the Leafs could actually win something. Yeah, no fucking kidding. I would be eminently shocked if the Leafs don't make it to the third round this year. Unless Connor McDavid just goes Super Saiyan in the playoffs. I would honestly be okay with that. Like, what if the dude gets, like, regular season point scoring in a playoff tournament? Oh, that would actually be really good. I would be happy about that, Tim, because I like Connor McDavid. (laughs) So, Tim, now that we have recapped the stories that I failed to include on top of the hour... It's time to talk about the big one. Washington Capitals forward Tom Wilson has been fined $5,000, the maximum allowable under the CBA, for roughing New York Rangers forward Pavel Bushevich. Wilson, a repeat offender, has recorded 13 goals, 20 assists for 33 points in 43 games for Washington at the time of the story. Okay. 
I do have some thoughts. Number one. Let's hear. Yes, he should have been suspended. That is not negotiable. But also, you know, and it just seems like every five to six years, there's a player that comes into the league, starts to make a name for themselves on a basis that they go out and try to deliberately hurt people. And you look through the last number of years, we've had those guys. We had it with Alf Samuelson. We had it with Matt Cook. We've had it with Claude Lemieux. Now we've got Tom Wilson. Well, we've had Radko Gudis at the same time. Well, and here's my thought, Tim. Is that, every, like I said, every five to six years, those players came out, and all these guys are doing, they're giving ammunition to people who want a reason to take the NHL down. This does not help grow the game. I'm sorry. Yes, the line brawl and everything the other the other night, super entertaining. Yes, it has no por- place in hockey. I will not disagree with that. But how do you think this is going to grow the game when you have a guy? And the shitty thing is, Tom Wilson can score. He can score. He can play the game the right way. He can prove he can do it all. But he goes out of his way. He's deliberately tries to hurt a guy, this guy being Artemi Panarin, who didn't have a helmet on, was defenseless, and he did a fucking hip toss, which, yes, if you were in AEW or WWE, that would be a clean hip toss, and that would be really good. This is not wrestling. This is the NHL. You are deliberately trying to hurt a guy doing that. And here's the thing. What if, what if Artemi Panarin without a helmet on, hit his head on the ice, split his head open. Well, think about it. You gave him uh, possibly a grade two concussion. You potentially end his fucking career, and you potentially could kill him. potentially end his life. Yes, and you potentially kill him. Like, that was incredibly dangerous. Like, how that's not a suspension is beyond me. But what I noticed is three of the guys that we named, Radko Goodes, Matt Cook, and... Tom Wilson have all gone through the Washington Capitals system at some point, and most of them were brought in as free agents. And then you get the Washington Twitter guy goes out and puts, we select, we choose violence in an attempt to meme. All of this kind of suggests there's something fucky with the Washington organ, the Washington Capitals organization that they keep bringing in these goons. I would like to know. And I would like to know how their Twitter guy was not fired for that. How the NHL did not go to the Capitals and say, "We are not putting up with that." Well, the problem is, is I think it just got old hockey guy, like old hockey man. Because uh, I remember watching the CBC panel talk about it on Saturday night, and you had some of the old players like, "Oh yeah, it's just you got to get the fighters in and stuff like that." And Ron McLean's like, "No, it's bullshit." This shit was happening when the fights were happening. These guys don't... Like, Matt Cook never got stuffed. Alf Samuelson existed. Like, yeah, Claude the Lemieux? Fight, fighting can't stop it. Yeah, Claude Lemieux. Like, these, what about when Darren McCarty jumped him, right? Yeah, but, like, that was after years of Claude Lemieux being a dirty fucking pest. And that jump was 
the same level of awful. Because, like, it took... That's not fighting. That was the dude getting jumped and beaten into the fetal position. Like, your standard, hey, stand-up answer to this fight isn't going to stop it. The only thing that stops it, if you're going to, say, talk about the quote-unquote code, is putting the fear of God in a man's heart. You do not want players taking those sorts of liberties. No, but you know, but the thing is, Tim, but I think the thing is, when you have George Peros who didn't suspend him or like, what is a $5,000 fine going to do? And you know what? When the head of the player's safety doesn't do anything about it, you are asking the players to take this into their own hands. And that's when a guy seriously starts getting hurt. This is when these guys start looking for blood. They're looking for people's heads at this point. Yeah. And we got such an awful play in New York. Sorry, in the next game where uh, Busnevich goes and tries to take a dude's head off with a stick. Like, it's it's not hockey. I actually agree with Dolan just saying, fuck it, I'll take the fine. And just say, yeah, no, this is bullshit. Which is because that opens the floor for other teams to say, Department of Player Safety, you fucked up. Which is really funny because James Dolan, the owner of the New York Rangers, has been known to be such a hands off owner with the team. And while you look at how he's run the New York Knicks into the ground, the complete opposite is with the Rangers, where he's such a hands off owner, he lets the guys in charge. He lets their GM, he lets the head coach, he lets those guys run this hockey team. And what happens after this? John Davidson lost his job and Jeff Gordon lost his job over this. Yeah. Not sure if I'm going to be a fan of James Dolan Unchained here. I think the only thing is, I'm trying to put my thoughts together because, you know, I will. I would like to ask the question here. People on Twitter and a lot of people have asked, why do they keep putting ex NHL enforcers in charge of the player safety? Why do you end up putting Brendan Shanahan involved? Why do you get George Peros to do this? Why not? And here's a bit of a hot take. Some people have said, why not get a guy whose career was ended by these guys? What about? The Paul Koreas. What about... Here's a good one. We talked about Matt Cook. Mark Savard. Why don't we put a guy like that in charge? Whose career... Nathan Horton. Whose career is over. Paul Korea was what? A couple... What? 10 points away from reaching 1,000? You know, Mark Savard's career came to an abrupt end? But, oh, I guess because, what? Panarin's not a marquee guy. This is not a thing. Okay, well, what about 10 years ago when this happened to Crosby? Oh, well, look, the NHL stepped in at that point, didn't they? When Sidney Crosby, your marquee fucking guy, got injured. So why is it that... Cook stomping on on Carlson. Carlson. But here's the thing. What if this happened to, say, Connor McDavid? Or Austin Matthews? Or Nathan McKinnon? What if this happened to one of the top guys today? You better believe Tom Wilson would be fired. Not if when it's going to happen because yeah the nhl is derelict in their duty straight up yeah and i will say one thing because i was listening to mark mathot on the molly wally mathot show talking about this and he says that yes he does believe 
Wilson Shooter has been suspended, but there's also that part of the adrenaline where you're in a scrum, things happen. But he says, guys do not go out of their way to deliberately injure somebody like this. And Panarin's lucky he didn't get injured. Yeah, and I've heard people try to discount it so that, oh, nobody got injured. That's not the fucking point. You punish behaviors, not outcomes. doesn't matter that nobody got hurt. If you're only going to punish on outcomes, you make it a conditional like people are like, oh, there's only X percent chance this guy gets hurt from this place. So that means I can get away with it most of the time. So you get shittier behavior. Like, I don't get why the NHL doesn't care because they have to be able to see this. Like, they got put over the barrel by the CT in court for CT. <coughs> like, this can't end well for them. What are they? What are they seeing and thinking that we're not? Well, and I understand it's a business, and honestly, anything that will hurt the bottom line of their business, they will not do right. But the old hockey men, and one game, and Don Cherry said this about thirty years ago. He said the worst thing that happened to hockey, they put in the instigator rule. If they take out the instigator rule, do these kind of events happen today? Does Tom Wilson try to hurt Panarin? Does the stuff to Sidney Crosby happen 10 years ago? Do these things happen? Because there's no accountability anymore with these players. They well, can take a run at these guys, and there's nothing they're going to do about it. Well, it's like, I don't think the instigator rule, like, I don't think that fighting's going to stop it. it. You basic, you do need consistent officiating and consistent suspensions. Or, yeah, these guys are going to take their chances. Yeah. And some of them, yeah. The, like, Tom Wilson will say, fuck it, and he'll throw some punches. And so, like, if you have a guy who is willing to hurt people and doesn't actually enjoys punching people, yeah, he's going to relish in the opportunity to fight. Yeah, and I agree. I agree fighting's not going to change anything. Fighting's not going to stop it. But if you take the instigator rule out... Then there's that accountability. Guys like Tom Wilson can't do that because they will now have to answer for it and there's nothing they're going to do about it. They don't have a choice. I don't know. I, I think it's you need consistent rule enforcement. I don't know. I think the only thing that we can really talk about this is the fact that... Well, two things. One, that Tom Wilson was taken out of the game due to a mysterious upper body injury the next game. But then... The ultimate karma, Tom Wilson, I think he's done for the season after he got a knee-on-knee knee hit earlier the other, the other night. Yeah. Watching that play, it looked accidental. So I don't think any discipline should come out of that. No. But, yeah, instant karma is going to get you. So, Tim, do you have any more comments you want to make on this story before we close off top of the hour for this episode? No, I think we've kind of said everything we can say about it, and... Uh, the spice level's pretty high. <laughs> Very much so. Well, Tim, I guess that wraps up top of the hour for this week, which can mean only one thing. It's time to start talking about some games. Now, we got three games on the schedule. We've got the Jets versus the Sens, Canadians versus the Sens, and the Sens versus the Jets. But before we do that, let's hit the music. Time to play the game. Time to play the game! <laughs> 
Okay, Tim, let's start talking about the Jets versus the Senators. This is a 2-1 to one Senators victory. Jets goals were scored by Josh Morrissey. Sens goals were scored by Connor Brown and Nikita Zaitsev. Shots were 29-18 for Winnipeg. Connor Brown opens the scoring shorthanded to make it 1-0 Senators on a beauty pass from Nick Paul. Josh Morrissey scores to get Winnipeg on the board to tie the game at 1. And Nikita Zaitsev wires one home in the final minute to give Ottawa a 2-1 lead, which would be the final. So, of course, we had to condense watch this because we were recording last week's episode. So let's start talking about Philip Gustafson. 28 saves, a .966 save percentage. This guy was the real MVP of this game. Because when I was watching the league against him, you can tell he faced a lot of high-danger shots in this game. Yeah, well, it's you could tell the team tried to rally after Shabbat went down, but they, they were run out on empty for most of the game because they were playing five defensemen for most of the night, and Josh Brown was also playing hurt he because uh his season was wrapped up after this game as well so you're effectively playing with four healthy defensemen and that's tough it is like that is always really tough to play with four healthy and one injured defenseman so you know gotta give philip gustafin his due though because he did play really well in this game another guy who played really well was connor brown one goal one assist on four shots I think a quick shout-out needs to be given to Nick Paul on that goal to make that sweet little move to feed him. Fantastic. Such a veteran move with that one. Well, Connor Brown had a hell of a game. Like, I think he was probably the best player on the ice for both teams. Like, uh, somehow, when he was on the ice, Winnipeg wasn't getting many shots, and his chances all looked good. And uh, if I remember correctly, he was also... No, he wasn't. He was at least putting the puck the right direction before he switched off for the Zeit- when the Zaitsev goal happened. That was a nice goal by Zaitsev, too. That's true. And, actually, and I think that was Zaitsev's first goal with a goalie in the net for Ottawa. I think so. Actually, let's, let's talk a little bit about that. One shot, one goal for Nikita Zaitsev. And you know what? I think what really impressed me on that one was just that was such a perfect shot, too. Like, he put it perfectly right through, uh, was it Hellebach? Or was that uh, the uh, back of, do you recall? It's Brissois. Brissois, yeah, because he just put it perfectly right through him. And that was a perfect shot for the game winner. Now, and obviously you mentioned Thomas Shabbat. He left the game midway through the first period. He's now done for the season. Like, that is such a, such a big blow for the Senators because Thomas Shabbat was playing fantastic hockey in the last number of games right before this injury. Oh, for sure. And uh, hopefully with, it won't be a long off-season, but uh, hopefully he get, with a full off-season, well, a good length off-season to recover, hopefully uh, whatever it is, he's right as rain for training camp. Yeah, and thankfully uh, Ottawa because, will yeah. get that too. They'll get an actual training camp this time. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, because, yeah, he was playing fantastic hockey, and it'll be really hard for Brandstrom and Mete to carry that weight. Yeah, but thankfully they only have, what, four or five games left to go in the season, so it's not that big. It's a burden for sure, but definitely it's not going to be as big of a burden than it would have been 
say if there was still like 20 games left in the season, right? Because that's a huge burden for anybody to put on them, especially when they're not ready like that, right? Yeah, yeah. Because, yeah, Shabbat plays such difficult units with ease. Yeah, so it's... This, I think, was probably one of Gustafsson's... Well, Gustafsson's games this season have all been fantastic. So it's hard to say that this was his best, but he played really well. Yeah, this definitely now puts a lot of pressure on Sen's management going into the expansion draft of what they're going to do, right? Because they have so many goalies in the system. It's who are, who's Seattle going to take, right? If they don't take well, a Chris Tierney or somebody, right? So, What I suspect is going to happen is Pierre Dorian's probably going to protect Gustafsson because Bruce Garriott suggested that this the organization would protect Gustafsson on Saturday night when they were, sorry, Sunday night on TSN during question period where they asked for their protected list and uh, Gustafsson was the protected goalie. Yeah, definitely. And you know, and we'll talk about Gustafsson, I believe in the third game of this evening where, yeah, he just looked like a younger, calmer version of what Robin Leonard was supposed to be for us. When I see Philip Gustafsson. Yeah. Like, well, one thing I really appreciate about uh, Gustafsson is his positioning is so good. It's true. And, and a lot of big so goalies can't do that, right? A lot of big goalies, they try and either play smaller in the net so they can actually try to properly position themselves. Whereas a guy like Philip Gustafsson plays big, right? He plays big in the net. And you're right. His positioning is fantastic. Yeah, so it's what's interesting is I wouldn't be surprised if Seattle goes for a guy like Chris Tierney because from the outside looking in, Joey Decord had a few a handful of good and a handful of not great NHL games. Just given that this is outside looking in, we obviously know the Ottawa Senators during that run were absolute dog shit. Mm-hmm. So I could see them passing on the goalies, just assuming it's Magic Beans and going for. Uh, someone who has played significant NHL games like Tyranny as sort of a best of a bad bunch situation. One thing that I found a little, uh, I wasn't too happy with, but I doubt Seattle goes for is uh, Vitaly Abramov was on Bruce Garriock's unprotected list. While Austin Watson was on the protected list. Yeah. I don't think Seattle would have taken Watson anyway. I think they would have taken a Chris Tyranny over him anyway. Yeah, but I'd rather protect Abramov over Watson. Yeah, I definitely would too. So, Tim, do you want to head off into the second game of the evening between the Canadians and the Sens? Yeah, let's do it. Canadians versus Senators. This is a 5-1 to one Senators victory. Canadians' goals were scored by Joel Edmondson. Sens' goals were scored by Shane Pinto, Brady Dechak, Nick Paul, Chris Brown. Chris Brown? <laughs> Connor Brown. Sorry, I was like... Chris Brown? No, that's that's not the right. You got Connor Brown and Alex Alex Formanton. Shots were 34-31 for Ottawa. Ottawa dominated Montreal throughout this game. Ottawa started off the game creating good scoring chances and getting shots on the net, which would lead them controlling the play and the pace of the game as they would take a 5-1 lead, which they would take to the W. <coughs> I still can't believe I missed up Connor Brown's name there. Holy shit. Let's yeah, talk about a guy. It's a really unfortunate error, too, eh? I know. 
Well, and I think, you know, I was kind of thinking that because his ex-girlfriend, remember like 10 years ago when like Rihanna was a thing? When Rihanna wore like oh, the... Oh, Rihanna, yeah. We had the, the Sens jersey on, she used as a dress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe that's what I was thinking about. So let's talk about a guy who actually took quite a number of minutes away from Thomas Shabbat. Eric Branstrom. Three assists and two shots. This has this has to be easily the best game that Eric Branstrom has played in the pros so far. Well, he looked incredible. Like whenever he was on the ice, he was moving he was moving the puck with ease, stripping Montreal and just setting up beautiful, beautiful plays. This is this is the Eric Brandstrom that I think we can expect because he looked equally good in the Winnipeg game. That is true, and Brandstrom. But continue. No, I was going to say. Well, the thing I liked about Brandstrom is that you know we've seen it in the past where. Brandstrom's been kind of hit and miss, right? Where you're not exactly sure, is he ready to play in the pros? But then you see games like this, and you're like, holy crap, Like this guy's going to be amazing when he gets good. And I think this is a game that really kind of clouds people's perspective of Brandstrom because the ones who are so loud and so critical of Brandstrom's play when he is not good, they look at this game and it's just like, yeah, but it's like one game. He can't consistently do it over a number of games. And I really hope that Eric Branstrom could actually string games together because you know what? This game really is helping his confidence. That the team had that much faith in him to give him the Thomas Shabbat role when you saw at the beginning of the year with DJ Smith, hands down, was almost forced to play Branstrom in the lineup. Well, the other nice thing is that Branstrom got closing minutes. Like, DJ Smith would not have given Eric Branstrom those sorts of minutes before, and the Sens looked good with Branstrom on the ice. So, yeah, like, the Branstrom-Zoob line was fantastic. Another line that, I re- that I've been liking over these few games, and what's really nice and I should have mentioned this last game as well, the forward core is, for the top two lines, it looks like the line blender has gone away. Kachuk, Norris, Batherson, Stutzla, Pinto, Brown. Those lines are clicking. Brown, Stutzla, and Pinto, again, they were fantastic. And I think, other than Branstrom, I think Connor, Connor Brown was, again, Ottawa's best player on the ice. Well, then like, get, the Kachuk Norris line was really good too. That is true. Now, given that you did talk about the Stutzla Pinto Brown line, let's talk about Shane Pinto. First NHL goal in this game, continuing his great play that he's had, and I thought he looked really good against Montreal in this one. Oh, he did. Well, it's incredible because like the P- Pinto's goal is he worked for that goal, set it up, got got the puck rolling and then gets himself to the front of the net to collect a juicy rebound. That's a veteran play. Like, Shane Pinto is wise beyond his years, and I think I think he is on the team from the get-go next year. Oh, no question. That's not even up for debate right now. Like, he really has been fantastic, and he's solidified that second line that really we haven't really had since... 
Uh, I was gonna Mike say Fisher. Yeah, I was gonna say Fisher was probably the best comparison, but I was trying to think who else would have been on the that second line that was almost that good. But no, you're right. It's probably this is what Mike Fisher was supposed to be: highly offensive, great at both ends, and can be a little bit of a pass at times too. Yeah, and just Shane Pinto's game sense is incredible. He's a really smart player, and uh, yeah, I'm glad that he's settled. Like, you can see how such a young guy was able to almost get the Hobie Baker. It's actually kind of impressive. I'm actually not even going to blame Jake Allen for getting five hung on him. Because look at where all of Ottawa's goals came from. It's so true. Like, I can't, I'm, like, I, I agree right in front of the net this Montreal team looks cooked yep like the fact that Calgary a team that has won two games since the trade deadline is still has an outside chance of overtaking Montreal is incredible like it should have it's a conversation that should have been over a long time ago but Montreal is just so dead like, granted, they are missing a lot of really good players. Like, Carey Price is out, Gallagher's out, Joanne's out, and that's not even all. Now, I want to actually quickly talk about Anton Forsberg, because he had 30 saves, a .968 save percentage. While he didn't face a ton of high-danger shots in this one, I thought he did his job very well and got us the W. Yeah, no, he did exactly what he had to do, right? Now, the other Senators, I think we should probably make a note of Josh Norris with one assist and four shots. Brady Chuck had a goal and four shots. Alex Formerton, goal and three shots. The one that really kind of came out of surprise for me, Ryan Dezingle with four shots. Now, I don't know how you felt about his play lately because I it's definitely something I've noticed is that since the deadline, he's looked pretty quiet. And there was even a comment last night. They said that, oh, Ryan Dezingle has played excellent hockey since then. And we're like, no, he hasn't. He's been very quiet. He's been quiet. I think he's been good in a fourth-line role. It's just, yeah, he was on a heater and came off. Like, I think uh, his fancy stats are fine. That That shooting average was not sustainable. So, I really don't have any more comments to make on this game if you want to head off into the third and final game of the episode. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Sens versus Jets. This is a 4-2 to two Senators victory. Sens scores a good by Tam Stutzla and Connor Brown. Jets scores a scored by Mason Appleton and Mark Shifley. Shots were 29-22. For Winnipeg. A somewhat even game overall. Winnipeg dominated Ottawa to start the game off. Creating scoring chances and leading in shots. Which they would continue for majority of this game. However, Ottawa got most of the bounces going for them. As Tim Stutzla potted his first career hat trick to secure the W. Okay. Have I mentioned lately, Tim, how great our sweet German boy Tim Stutzla is? No, you haven't, but go off, kid. Okay. So, 
Tim Stutzla, what can I say about him? The kid is 19. The kid has never played over in North America up until this year. And, uh, I mean, I could just go on and gush about how great of a player Tim Stutzla is, how great he's going to be this game, though. Really. I mean, this is a game, without question, is the best game I've seen Tim Stutzla play in his young career all year, and he had five shots in this game. And the nice thing about it is he became the youngest senator to score a hat trick. Sorry, you all right, man? What happened there? I unplugged myself. See, you see, Tim, this is why we'll never win an award on this podcast, right? Just because of shenanigans like that? Well, I mean, we're also not an ex-MMA fighter talking about monkeys killing each other. Yeah, nor did I ever... No, that's not true. I did mention uh, R&B singer, and I mistaken him for Connor Brown, too. But that's not the point. Tim Stutzla. I mean, what can you really say, man? It's this guy. This kid's amazing. Well, like, he was dominant. Like, no Winnipeg player could touch him, Stutzla, or Pinto. And it wasn't even close. Sorry, him, Pinto, or Connor Brown. And it wasn't even close. That is a line. And even though, like, the shot, like, the shots favored Winnipeg and the fancy stats are relatively even... I don't think this game was particularly close. No. Stutzla ran away with it. No, it wasn't. And that was the thing that I, even watching, I, when I watched the first period and I had to condense watch the other two, is that you can tell. You can tell Ottawa was really running on fumes in this game. They Even in the condensed game, they looked like their feet weren't moving. They, were, they just looked tired out there. They were just like, holy crap, man. Like, this is unreal. And then Tim Stutzla goes off. Because I'm just I'm just so happy. I'm just so happy about Tim Stutzler right now, Tim. Well, what's kind of insane is that Winnipeg also just looked uninterested. And it was weird. Like, this is a team that it needs to figure its shit out in a hurry. Because Hellebuck, he didn't have a good game. No. But honestly, the shots that Winnipeg got weren't great they got a few good opportunities but over half their shots were just like stupid outs like more than half of their shots were just stupid outside the dot like behind the circles outside the dots crap shots yeah and i i can't really even blame connor hellebach on those goals because it is very hard for a goalie to try and stop a puck that's been tipped now the yeah. only goal i will kind of give connor hellebach shit on and I think it's more on his defense more than anything, was the Connor Brown goal when he tried to clear it. He tried to clear it. It bounced off the glass, went right to Zub, I believe. Zub shot it, and Connor Brown tipped it in. Although, Connor Brown got a nasty tip on that, eh? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. You know what's nuts? What? Connor Brown's on a 30-goal pace in a red pro rated, eh? Do you know... And I think somebody on Twitter mentioned this, that if Connor Brown was still on the Leafs, he would be second on team goal scoring right now. Jesus Christ. Like, honestly, that Cody Cece trade is looking pretty good in hindsight. 
It's so true. It's so true. I mean, even if Nikita Zaitsev have had ga- gaps where we're just like, eh. We got Connor Brown out of it. It's true. Now, actually, let's talk about Tim Stutzel's line mates. Shine, Shine Pinto. Shine Pinto. No, Shane Pinto and Connor Brown. Because Shane Pinto had two assists. Connor Brown had a goal and two assists on two shots. This was the line that dominated Winnipeg. Oh, yeah. No question. They were keyed the fuck in. Do you want some nuts? Is that both Con- Connor Brown is also getting close to Mark Stone takeaway numbers this season. That is true. Although I'm sure a lot of fans would love to still have, you know, oh, Mark Stone wrong, on too. the team. But yes, it is very cool that he's getting Mark Stone-esque numbers. Yeah, and then I think Shane Pinto is going to be another. He's another guy who's just he is always in the right position and just able to get that puck going the other way. And he's really smooth on the zone exit, eh? And it's funny because Connor Brown was a guy earlier this year. He looked like he couldn't even score on a broadside of a barn if he had tried. Yeah. I just don't know what happened on either side of that, to be honest. And I think, well, one thing Connor Brown has said is that playing with the youngsters lately, is it's been awesome. And he's learning from them. them they're learning from him. And it's just been instant chemistry. And, well, I think it helps where you have two really intelligent young players like there were so many so many times where like what would have been a cycle a long-lasting cycle play against ottawa earlier in the season uh like i think there was a one and done shot but by i want to say it wasn't appleton i want to say sorry it was dubois where it looked like they were gonna get this beautiful shot then pinto just comes off the puck and it's going the other way Actually, Kurt, can we give a quick shout to Mark Shifley, who scored his 200th career goal on that play? Yeah. That's a, that's another story we never mentioned at the top of the hour either, but <laughs> again, it is what it is, man. But you know what? I will say that Blake Wheeler feed over to him, man, that was smooth. I was just like, not even mad on that. I'm actually quite impressed. Yeah, no, like, that was pro- that was a beauty play. And it's it's sad because it's like this Winnipeg team, I would expect them to be better. Because like their top six is like Kyle Connor, Shifley, Blake Wheeler, Paul Stasny, Pierre Luc Dubois. That's five really good players. Like, what the hell is going on with this team? But then again, I guess that if Dylan DeMello's your top defenseman, things aren't going right at the team building level. It's true. I, I did love his comment on the Wally Mathos show this past week where he said he didn't even want to leave Ottawa. Oh. I know. Do you think that Mello's mustache could probably beat somebody up and win? Yeah, probably. Yeah. Mello's mustache. I'm, a, I'm surprised nobody created a Twitter account for that. Maybe soon. But at the same time, as much as I like Dylan DeMello... Part of me wonders if even in a year there'd be a spot for him on the blue line. So you're thinking that even if, yeah, that's a good point actually. I, I would I would say that just because of all the young guys that would be brought in, right? Yeah, like Bernard Docker. These games have been a bit. It's been a bit rough for Bernard Docker in the early going. Although all the all seems not a lot to write home about. Um, but like with Zoo, 
with Zub, Lassie Thompson coming up, uh, if Sanderson comes in, Brancher might go to the right side. It's going to be tough. Yep. But it's like, I really do like Dillo, Dylan DeMello as kind of a quiet, stay-home type of guy because he works really well in that in that sort of situation. It's true. Well, I do have a bit of a grind my gears about Jacob Bernadocker. I'll save that for next week's episode. The only other comment I have for this game, Tim, is Philip Gustafson. 27 saves, a .931 save percentage. I already mentioned it earlier in this episode how the guy looks like a younger, calmer Robin Leonard in the net. But you know what? The guy was rock solid in this game versus Winnipeg. Just the, the plays that he had to make to make those stops was fantastic. Yeah, no kidding. So Tim, it I, was but... a great game for pretty much all the Senators, really. It's weird that we're talking about another episode where Ottawa won all the games. I think this is the first one. Because last, yeah. week, last week we didn't. Also, uh, you know how I said that Calgary still had a shot at making the playoffs? Yep. Montreal lost in overtime, clinching the playoff spot. Well, how about that? <laughs> but, like, 58 points in 55 games? No comment. <laughs> That's a joke. That's a This joke. whole fucking division's a joke. Let's not kid ourselves. Yeah. So, Tim, I don't have any more comments to make on this game if you just want to head off into the close for another yeah, evening. Yeah, let's do it. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug, Sensecast. I hope you've enjoyed it, because believe me, Tim and I love recording it for you. We're on the National Podcast Network. You can find our page on nationalpodcast.network, where you can find our, find our links to iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. We're also on Twitter, at Third Line Plug is our Twitter handle. Tim is at and then on Honey Badger. I'm at Great White Gipster, gr 8 W-Y-T-E, Gipster. If you want to shoot us an email to talk about the games, top of the hour, or you want to mention how this is the first episode of Season 4 where the Sens won all three of their games this week, shoot us an email, thirdlightplugsensecast at gmail.com. Okay, Tim, so for next week's episode, which will be our Season 4 finale, but also the Ruthless Sensgression episode with Canuck from the Sens Call-Ups, we got two games on the schedule. We've got last night's Calgary Lost... That was just that was just fucking embarrassing. Last night's game versus the Calgary Flames. And Wednesday, the final Battle of Ontario for 2021 at home to play the Leafs. You know, I'd almost consider just burning the tape on the Calgary game. I really have no notes for that game, to be perfectly honest. It, it's almost better to just have the stop stop he's already dead fucking clip playing have you ever stopped watching a hockey game and started doing math no that's where I was well Tim I guess we're gonna have to save that for next week's episode we can talk a little bit about math alright until next week guys I am your host Taylor Gibson and this has been Tim Jensen go Sens guys